Tried to get the slow boat, Gordon, but they just don't seem to do it anymore. No, no, so, they don't. I, what are you going to do? I'm getting. Well, I'm getting. I'm going to get the fast plane. The, but yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to get the slow boat. Oh, it, it would have been nice. I don't know what happens in the slow boat, but I'm, I'm you know, I'd like to help somebody been on it. It would have been nice to give it a bash, but it is. What it is. But anyway, anyway, how are you? Oh, yes, episode. It's series seven, episode four. Gordon, very well. Very good, well indeed, good, and good. we've got a great show ahead of us there, but I can't stop thinking about your travelling to China. I am about to head off to China in about four hours' time, so <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I've been to China before, but not not since post-COVID, so um, a big market. Um, Has the market for, for whiskey in China been, would you say, restricted, and now it's opening up? How would you broadly no, describe it? it? China's a little bit like a really big, you know, when you go somewhere and you sort of order like a club sandwich and it's really big and you don't quite know how to eat it. It's a little bit like that. It's nice. a really potentially huge market. But, um, you know, I'm hearing at the moment the market's a little bit funny after COVID and a few other things. And um, But it has a huge potential, China, for sure, which is why Perna Ricard and these types of people are building distilleries in China. A bit like India. India has a huge potential too. So, um, you know, I think um, I think China will be will be in in the future, assuming everything goes well, a, a really important market for us. But at the moment, um, you know, it still is. But it's 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 a little bit I don't know, slightly restricted. I think it's probably a good good word. There's um, there's a lot of demand, but there's only so much whiskey as well. So um, anyway, we're off to see the. Off to China for a couple of weeks. So. And on that very subject, um, later on in the show, Gordon, mm. I have met one of the, I would say, one of the most travelled whiskey ambassadors and sometimes called some of the loudest whiskey ambassador you might have the pleasure <laughs> to meet. He's travelled a bit as well. He has travelled a bit. He has travelled a bit. Yeah, that'll be good. That'll be good. I'm looking forward to hearing from him. Bro, um, Big but Kenny, as he's known in the business. Big if you don't know Kenny, him, you will know him very shortly. We'll you have will a... know him. He's a he's a fabulous guy. Done a bit of work for us in the past. I think he's doing lots of exciting things on his own now. But very, yeah, no, really, really good guy. Yeah. So yeah, no, look, I mean, you, you know, you you've travelled. You've been to America this year. You know, it is part of the job, and it is it is exciting at times, and um, it's not quite as glamorous as everybody thinks it is. Well, well, God, just to cut across, I know everybody thinks it's a dream job, and and that's what I'll be, you know, I mentioned to Kenny about as well. But part of this episode, I'm launching a small book club because what do you do when you're traveling, waiting at airports, on a plane? Are you a man that gets the Kindle out or get the book out? I probably, I'm not a big reader. I should be more of a reader, right, okay. so I don't do a lot of reading. Well, that's perfect because we're going to launch the Whiskey Unscripted Book Club. I've got some suggestions here for the whiskey-minded amongst you. So this might persuade you to take a detour to the bookstore in the airport before you jump on that plane. <laughs> well, there's generally, and certainly in air airports in the UK, there's plenty of WH Smiths everywhere. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Just Far too many. <laughs> and sometimes if you lose it, forget your headphones, it's far too expensive to get these wee... Yeah. <laughs> Don't go there. So before we start, I'd like to ask, because the, 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 it's obsessed me for the last two days. What are you drinking? Well, I'm getting on a flight, so I'm not drinking a lot of stuff, but I'm having a little <laughs> sip here of a Weller original wheated bourbon. Oh. An antique 107. Fabulous. Um, 
uh, 58.5%. So I'm literally having a sip. But uh, yeah, I'm having a little bourbon for, for, oh, for a change. Here we go. Oh, yeah, beauty. I had a choice, and I've luckily been given a couple of bottles of whiskey. Uh, Glenfiddich 12 and an old Pulteney 12. And uh -huh. I decided to go for the old Pulteney 12. Right. And I had a little sip of it last night. Lovely fruity pear. That once you're told there's a bit of maritime salt there, you can't help but taste it. Yeah. A lovely drama. I don't know if you're familiar with the 12, Gordon, no Pulteney. Yeah, yeah, no, old Pulteney's a great, great whiskey. I mean, I think um a few years ago, like about 10 years ago, I think their 17-year-old was like the best whiskey in the world or something. So yeah, I mean it's very good and good people there as well. So yeah. Yes, but when I was um I just do my research last night, he says in Bertie Commons, I just thought, how many whiskey distilleries have got two words? Now, take away the Glens, take away Glen Murray, take away Glen Ord, take away Glen Geary, don't do any Glens, and take away the, the Clydeside, the Cairn. I thought, how many? And you know what? I lost about an hour and a half to two hours last night. Just thinking about it. And then I thought, I saw that I'll have to go to a book. Oh, that's and a good point. I thought there was hardly any. And then suddenly <laughs> it became uh, more than a couple. <laughs> but I'm now thinking. And I'm just letting you listen to this. Just apply yourself. Because most distilleries have got one word. Hand yeah. Hand I'm trying to think of two-word distilleries now. Brewdog. The hint for the other one was uh, William Grant and Sons, built inside the big Girvin. Uh, um, named after its geographical location. Um, two-word distillery. Around about 2007. Um. Oh, I can't remember. Um, Airstone, they did Airstone release, um, which was the whiskey by the sea. They did another yes, one that was yes. whiskey uh, at the warehouse that matured in different locations. And it was from this single malt distillery. Ladyburn. Not Ladyburn, Ailsa Bay. Ailsa Bay. Ah. Um, two word distillery. Ailsa Bay, yes, you're right. There's one. Yeah, well done. And of course, the, the distillery in Perth, famous for the King James IV tax register that they really build their story around, Lindor's Abbey. Uh, Lindor's Abbey. And then I thought, oh my goodness, that, There's that must another be the last one. two. Carry on. That must be the last two. And then Ingevar's book mentioned, and I don't have, I, I can try and very quickly find it. Isle of Lewis. Isle of Rassi. You've got Isle of Rassi as well. Yes, that's one. Isle of Lewis is Avin Jarek. Avin Jarek. Highland Park. You've got coming now. Yes, this is, <laughs> it took me about an hour to think it's hardly any. And then suddenly, just like you, yes, Highland Park. Avin Thompson Jarek. Brothers. Which what? Thompson Brothers. Yes. And if you remember from last episode, the hashtag challenge, mm -hmm. hashtag open golf. Loch Lomond. Loch Lomond. Oh my goodness, Loch Lomond. Uh, They're all coming good. now. Royal Loch Nagar, Royal Brackler. Correct, correct. <laughs> and you might go to the end of the West Highland Way if you've ever in Scotland. A wonderful Ben Nevis. Ben Nevis is the end of the West Highland Way. Yes, and there's one Scotland. quite near Pitlochry where you go if you're inducting the keepers. Blair Athel. And that's all I've got. Good I've effort. Got Royal Loch, well done. Two Royals, Ben Nevis, Blair Athel, Highland Park, Loch Lomond, Avinjarek. Isla Rassi, Ailsa, Lindor's Abbey, 
but with no blends in this, there's not many two-worded distilleries. Out of 141 distilleries in the UK. Um, Very oh, good. Well done. So good, that, good. That got me to the old Pulteney. So another part of the episode, I just wanted to pay a little, can I just doff my cap? Could have mentioned it last week, but it just things it's unscripted. But could I just doff my cap and say, well done, not only to Arthur Motley, but the Scottish Whiskey Association. Go to the website, swa.org.uk. Scottish Whiskey. A wonderful video by Arthur about the 200th anniversary, Gordon, of the Excise Act, 1823. Mm. A, a, a subject we used to do, or a topic we used to do, the, the year that changed history. That's mm. probably one of the biggest years that changed oh, whiskey history. Definitely. And if there's a better person to speak about it, I'm, I don't know who it would be. No. Arthur and uh, oh, Dave Broom have done a fabulous thing with the Liquid Antiquarian. And if you've not seen that, look them up on YouTube. Utterly fabulous. Important date in the day. I think it was the 18th of July. Oh, and um, that's the same day, 200 years later, we filled our first Rosebank cask. I saw the, I saw the emails going round. That's exactly correct. Yeah, um, exactly. So that was, that was, so yeah, really, really, that was, I think, by luck more than anything else. Right, but okay. um, I mean, the history of Scotch is just amazing. And you just go around going, my God, this is one of the most amazing liquids in the world. You know, fabulous, fabulous stuff. So uh, I think the highlights from that video, Gordon, was the 50 odd pages of this document. It's about five or six pages concerning the tax. Uh -huh. The rest of the pages are about how you must follow basically the recipe for the buildings, for the pipes. It yeah. laid down uh, a way of distilling that everyone had to follow if you wanted to go legal. And that sort of changed the sort of, style of some other whiskey makers out there that had to conform uh -huh. to this uh -huh. almost in or uncheatable system with spirit safes never been yeah. a spirit safe before 1823 but now you had to pipe this new make spirit into a safe that was locked and uh, have different receivers and follow exactly the guidelines for um, building a distillery so it's and you had to have money uh, as well one thing to get a 10 pound license that you were asked to virtually build a distillery mm. using these instructions. And that would cost quite a lot of money. So it's a fascinating, it's a 14-minute video. And as you said, the liquid antiquarian has a longer, yeah. over an hour on it. But it's a, it's a 200 years old, I have to say. Now, Gordon, you're not a book reader. I mean, well, I mean, I generally colour them in, but yeah, carry on. <laughs> and before I move on, anything caught your eye in the whiskey news this week? Because sometimes it's not, again, it's I, summer. It's not, I, I've not seen a great deal. It's not a huge amount. I mean, I think just following on from what we had last week, I know um, it's the funeral of Paul McDonough this week. So um, I think it's on Wednesday. And uh, so we just toss our cap to such a wonderful individual. Um, and um, again, a real loss to our industry and a real loss to the, hospitality trade in glasgow um but uh not not nothing really i mean i think anything I, saw story, your eye? I saw a story about you got gordon mcphail that was going around yes. that they're, they're stopping their independent yeah. bottling yeah look i mean it's an interesting one i mean i think if you look at what gordon mcphail have done in the last 10 years they've narrowed their independent bottling line and they then released some really big hitting uh, releases like you know the oldest whiskey in Scotland type releases to 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 reinforce that, and I think I think at the lower level, and I think you know they've got some very old whiskies, but I think you know in ten fifteen years time they see the future of their business as the Cairn, they see it as Ben Romich, um, and being a brand led business, they have a distribution business as well, they have a store, they have a shop, so 
they're a multifunctional business, but I think in the in the longer term, they don't see the fact of you know filling filling whiskies that's not theirs is is the future, and I think that's where that really comes from. So I think what you will find in the next few years is that they will continue to do what they're doing, and they will effectively run down those stocks as they build up their stocks for Ben Romick and for the Cairn. And I think there's a few things in it. You know, it allows them to liquidate some of the existing stock, which would allow them to put some more money and casks into their new distilleries. And I think the vision is in 15 years' time, they won't have an independent bottling business. They maybe don't see independent bottling as the future in the modern whiskey world in 15 years' time. So I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Um and I think it's all about the the long term for them. Well, well, it's very interesting. We'll try and get them on as well. But lovely, lovely to get up to see the Cairn and even Ben Romack in a day. I'd love to, uh, love to absolutely. do that. Absolutely, if you're listening, mm-hmm. going to we'd love to come. Oh yes, and if you want to get a little, hear a little bit more about independent bottling, somewhere in the past, Gordon, I can't remember what series or what episode. You can search it. You get your friends on the Watts. Yeah, we had Mark, Mark, Mark Watt, and um, um, they they were on the Watt Whiskey. Um, and it was quite interesting just to just to hear a little bit about the ins and outs of independent bottling, and and I think Kenny could actually uh, he does. He does. talk about it a little bit as well. But it's 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 a it's a fine art, and um, you know I think um, if you're if you're looking to get into it, it's it's an interesting time to get into it. I think um, you know I think it's you know the price of whiskey we know at the moment is um, is really really high. Um, I was you know. Our, the, in that secondary market the other thing is a lot of these sort of casks of whiskey that you see on you know being touted on facebook and things like that has has changed the market a little bit i i strongly recommend people not to rush Mm. at buying those types of casks if i'm honest but i think when you listen to you know the sort of um ins and outs of independent bottling it's going to become harder and harder i think as more and more people more and more people sort of keep their keep their whiskey. So well, Mark and Mark and Kate's sort of insight was really, really interesting. Well, we've been in a few meetings, Gordon, when, when we've, we've heard about the market is very, very difficult to acquire whiskies. Companies like our own and others <clears throat> acquire whiskies to do their own bottling, and it's just getting, yep. that market is getting difficult. We'd love to get into that, because it's a part of the whiskey world I don't know too much about. All this swapping and... No, it's it, 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 it absolutely. And I think, you know, that there it's a huge part of the industry in terms of you know business to business in terms of the big mm. you know between Diageo and Perno and us and whoever and all those types of people but that independent bottling part is slowly decreasing over time and um you know you just need to look at all the independent bottlers you look at you know most of them a lot of them now have distilleries and ultimately in the future you control your own whiskey, you sell your own whiskey. That's much more of a solid business model as we moved into a really brand forward sort of whiskey market. So, you know, I think that is the future. But I mean, you look at some of the, you know, some of the independent bottlings from 10, 20, you know, 20 years ago, you'd get McAllen's and Bumores and yes. you just don't get them anymore. You know, you don't get, you don't see a lot of Glengoyne, you don't see a lot of and that's just the nature of the beast. And you start to see the same sort of whiskies. And um, it'd be interesting to see how that moves and changes. And, you know, I'm sure uh, we can we can keep our finger on the pulse. Well, definitely to keep a, a look at that. Uh, Gordon, just thought we'll have a look, look at um, the 
Whiskey Unscripted Book Club. And not a big fan of books, you've said already, so I'll try and convert you. Um, first up, we've mentioned it already, just for hopping on and off trains or planes, I'm holding up yourself on yeah. page one, where is it now? It's down there. 162 of the Malt Whiskey Yearbook 2023. You're pictured there with Malcolm, who we were going to go on, Malcolm Rennie, but yeah. we're a bit busy this week. And we just felt want to give him a little bit more time to get things. It's not as easy as just hitting a button and it starts no. working. So they're... Yeah, yeah, no, they're working through a few things, but that's fine. Um, they they need to just crack on and do that. But uh, we'll get we'll get Malcolm on and get the insight into what's going on at Rosebank. That's a great. If you want um a really um up to date, it's almost con it's essential purchase. I think the, the malt whiskey yearbook, Gordon. Um, oh, it's it's the one book to buy every year. Um, mm -hmm. I would strongly recommend buying it every year. And uh, it's a great book. Ingvar is a fabulous, committed whiskey writer. Really, 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 really good guy. Gets lots of contributors. And it's it's the finger on the pulse of the whiskey industry. And um, if you want to play a game like the hashtag challenge, for example, it's so good to just open a page and say, oh, look, let's play the hashtag challenge before yeah. going to our next book. So, Gordon, just what would this be? Hashtag Diageo. Hashtag Diageo's oldest. 1794. Hashtag only for single malt. Hashtag little bay. Now this is a game where I don't like social media. You've got to put hashtags everywhere. So this is a distillery. Hashtag, nope. You're across the water. Hashtag night's watch. Hashtag gateway to the Hebrides. One word. So it's not a two word distillery. <laughs> like oh, I don't know. You've got me here. I um, know. It's, it's, it's actually going to be Ingvar's book. You got all little, these little bay. That was one of the, the releases at, known for their 10 year olds and their. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? Oban. Oban. Oh, I didn't know that. And that neither did I. Ingvar, full of. Um, That's amazing. Oban, yeah. Nice to, so, I've drunk some nice Obans over the year. Started by the Stevenson Brothers, 1820, he says. So, oh, so, very I mean, nice. Hey, yeah, yeah, if you want facts, if you want all these little... Yeah, definitely. Nuggets, I strongly recommend it, everybody. That is strongly recommended. Um, in the book club, God, I'm holding up another one here, which is a, a, a one I came across. It's, I've never seen that surface. one. It's called The Scott Cellar by F. Marion McNeil. Again, full of great facts, some uh -huh. great descriptions of um, cocktails in the past, uh, a story of alcohol in Scotland. Just a small example here. Tavern, tavern life in Scotland. Uh, page 56. This is by F. Marion McNeil. The 18th century was the age of tavern clubs until well into the 19th, tavern dissipation prevailed in Edinburgh to an incredible extent among all ranks and classes. Many highly esteemed citizens, including some of the ablest judges, were noted for their convivial habits. M. Mm. Simon, who in 1811 published A Tour of Scotland, mentions his surprise when on entering Parliament House one morning, he found in the dignified capacity of a judge and displaying all the gravity suitable to the character, the very man with whom he had spent the previous night in a fierce debauch. This was Lord Newton, very famed for his drinking habits. Mm. And it goes on about some of the great drinking taverns and about the bells that sounded in Edinburgh during the day to move people to different parts of their, their working day. 
the Meridian Bell, 12 o'clock. That was like coffee nowadays. Um, very good. It goes on and on. Wonderful. And my last recommendation, Gordon, this is only if you're going to have a very long trip on that slow boat to China. I'm holding up to you, Ian Gately, and drink. It is the cultural history of alcohol. Uh, mm. Mary McNeil does it in Scotland. He does it from the classical Greek right through to the present day. And I've just got one little uh, paragraph from this Ian Gately's fantastic book. It says, um, the single most important breakthrough in human understanding of alcoholic drinks, a complete and accurate scientific explanation of why they are alcoholic was achieved in France. The genius responsible for the advance was Louis Pasteur. Prior to his definitive studies, no one in history had been able to describe precisely how grape juice turned into wine. For all they knew, it might have been the invisible hand of Bacchus or some other form of divine intervention. Pasteur made his breakthrough by building on the work of Anton Laurent Lavoisier, the father of modern chemistry, who had discovered the process of fermentation consisted of the conversion of carbohydrates to carbon dioxide and ethanol, which he named alcohol thereby introducing the Arabic name for the substance to the West. So there we go. Yeah. The word alcohol introduced by Lavoisier in the late 1790s, bringing in an old Arabic name. Um, he decided to, to, to put it to ethanol. So oh, right. Pasteur went on from him in the late 1850s. We worked out it was yeast, little microbes that turned uh, carbohydrates into alcohol. So three books. Might be a bit heavy for a summer read, but if you're into whiskey, if you're into alcohol, those three books are absolutely spot on, and I always dip into them. So oh, there is the good. Whiskey Unscripted Book Club, Gordon. I've got a couple of recommendations. Next time we meet up, I've downloaded one last night. I'm working my way through. Mm, very good. Fantastic. No, I'm, I, I, I do read whiskey books, actually. I've got a few here uh, that I've got... Um, as a result of being in sort of whiskey for so long. So I've yes. one that, one that I particularly like, uh, and I've read is goodness knows, which is all oh. about, uh, Richard Patterson. Yes. Um, that's a really interesting book. And one that I would recommend people have a read of, cause there's an icon of the whiskey industry. If there ever, there was one. Third generation master blender. Yeah. Good. Really, really, you know, great guy. So I'm not that long ago. Right. Good to see him. No, that's a good book. I like, I like this. Good. He yeah. likes his history. Does, uh, does he does, yeah. as well. so Very good. good. Uh, Gordon, you've got to get your suitcase packed. So I met up with Kenny. Um, do you want yes. to give introductions to Kenny? <laughs> well, I mean, I've known Kenny probably for, I don't know, 12, 15 years, something like that. Um, larger than life character and someone who is more than passionate about whiskey and, has a unique presentation style and um, is, you know, he's, he's a real, what's the word? Um, he's a real vibrancy of this industry and, and, you know, been doing some really interesting stuff and that'd be really great to hear from him. So I haven't seen him for a little while, but hopefully see him soon. Well, we met up at a wonderful uh, location called Cameron House on the banks of the Bonnie Loch Lomond. Take it away. Coffee though. What do you think? Great coffee. Very nice. Cups are too small. Ah. Yeah. Well, 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 here we are in the lavish surroundings of uh, Cabern House Hotel in the banks of the the Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomans, and I've got a Bonnie guest. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, 
I've already said who it is, but maybe you would introduce yourself and let us know who you are. Absolutely, it's Kenny McDonald here from Drumore Group. Ah, Drumore Group, Kenny. Um, now, you've a, a well-known, or as we say in Scotland, a well-kent face in the whiskey world. Could you just uh, outline how we all know you? People that don't do the circuit would know you. Aye, very much so. So, over the last, oh, decade... I've been very fortunate to do a huge amount of work with McLeod Distillers, you know, as, as you'll know well. Uh, working, representing Glengoyne, Tamdu, Smokehead, and playing about a wee bit with Edinburgh Gin, although it's well out of my comfort zone. Uh, this is whiskey unscripted, we don't talk about it. That's all right, we don't, we don't, <laughs> don't mention that word again. <clears throat> so yeah, I've, I've been fortunate enough in, uh, to travel the world drinking whiskey with interesting people and getting paid for it. So, not the worst decade, no. uh, to be honest. So, folk will know me from in Germany, standing behind Borko stand, in Switzerland, there'd be with Charles Hoffer, yeah. with all these different guys representing Glengoyne and banging the drum about everything that's good about Ian McLeod's. And you know what, when I got this gig, Kenny, I was actually able to time people when they came to the stall and said, where's... <laughs> they were going to say, where's Kenny? But I was, I was able to say, Kenny? Yeah. <laughs> I said, I am Kenny. You must have been drinking heavily the last time. Or I, I said, I was mini Kenny. You know, I, I said, I jumped in his... They've, they've washed us at a wrong temperature, mate. <laughs> so you've been around Europe and all that. So can we, listen, before we talk about more about whiskey, what about this place? Stunning. Cameron House. For What's those that difference? Been, what, yeah, it closed because of a tragic fire. Really tragic fire. That'll be now, oh, four years ago now, I think. Three and a half, four years ago. Uh, and at the time, there was, it was touch and go whether the building would be demolished or not, which would have been heartbreaking for this area. Um, but the job they've done, the restoration, is incredibly sympathetically restored as well. And it's just a joy. You know, it really is. If, if it's a place you've not been to folks... Pop down and have a wheel. This is honestly. really nice. And the, the bar upstairs is not quite open yet. Not that no. we'll be going there, of course. Oh, no, no. As consummate professionals, we wouldn't <laughs> dream of drinking. But it's a lovely whiskey bar upstairs. Yeah, cracking. Great Scott bar. Really, really worth a visit, folks. Now, Kenny, you are from around this area. Yeah, Helensborough, born and bred. Right, okay, because it's Big Gordon Dundas. Yeah, same. And we're talking about Richard Patterson. I think he had a house there in Helens. So it's been quite a whiskey area, Helensborough. Well, the, the whole region, you know, if you... Not so much, well, Helensborough, as far as a town, we've never been known for whisky making, but Dumbarton, where I'm now based, uh, very much whisky. Famously known for um, Hiram Walker, uh, best known Ballantines, uh, where my grandfather was a head foreman for 33 years. Oh, right. So right. it's in the blood, as they say. Uh, but nowadays, you know, huge hotbed, the, the home of Chivas. Uh, and if you go back in history, <coughs> the amount of illicit stills that were round about the Dumbarton area, I think it numbered into the 20s. Because this is right on the Clyde. Right on before, the Clyde. Before it hits Glasgow. You're yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was ideal because you were at the Congress of the Clyde and uh, the Leaving. So you had fresh water going out into salt water where you could quite easily make illicit alcohol and smuggle it away. Yeah. You know, even if we go f slightly further down the line to Ochentoshin. And a Gaelic Ochentosh and just means the corner of the field, because that's where they used to make their illicit whiskey. Funny that, you can't be seen in the corner. Can't be seen in the corner <laughs> of the field. Uh, and even this to this day, they'll sprinkle a few healing cows around the corner, on the off chance the tax man thinks they might be making whiskey. So it's, you're, you're, you're being brought up in a whiskey family, you're in a whiskey area. Um, so how, and people say this is one of the dream jobs to travel the world, talking whiskey. So how, it's like an origin story. Aye. I don't know if you like your Star Trek movies. Remember that 
the reboot of Star Trek. I do remember. You see the young Kirk, the young Spock. Could you take us back, the young Kenny? How did you go from, and tell us what you were, to the world of, of whiskey? Because would love to know how do you, you make that transition. Night and day. Night and day. So I started off life as a butcher, of all things. I, I wouldn't say I progressed, but I, I digressed. <laughs> uh, um, I went and studied for a while and I became a meat inspector. So I policed abattoirs. Uh-huh. Uh, I was based uh, to the end in um, Scott Beef and Bridge Allen, which at the time was Scotland's biggest abattoir, killing 3,000 sheep and 500 cattle a day. So I was in it very much for the sexy uniform and the glamour, <laughs> nothing to do with money. Um, but whiskey was always my stamp collecting, it was my train spot and it was my geek bit okay, about okay. me. Uh, and you know, you'd go into the bar as a young man and you know, the, the boys would be drinking vodka and coke or back in the 80s it might even wander into bezique and lemonade or you One know, my favourites. all of these weird and wonderfuls. But I always had a fascination for, well, what's different with that whiskey to this whiskey to this whiskey? And at the time, very much, it was an old man's drink. And, and I would be pilloried for ordering a dram. They're like, ah, Jesus, man, have you left your dog tied up at the front? But no, no, no. And I would try different things, and little by little, your flavour diary in your head starts filling up, and you, and you get the idea of the spectrums of different flavours. And from there on in, it just became a, a passion, a fascination. Mm-hmm. And we got to the stage where, you know, thankfully, having met Victoria... She looked at me and went, why, why do you do the job you do? You obviously hate it. I went, well, of course I hate it. It's my job. And she went, yeah, some people don't hate their jobs, Kenny. And I literally laughed at her. I went, don't be so silly. Okay. But little by little, you know, and she'd planted a seed in my head. And I thought, well, you're here for, you're here for one chance, you know. Mm-hmm. Why spend it doing something I don't like? Let, let's try to do something that I do want to do. And it was the scariest thing I've ever done to just put my eyes, hand over my eyes and walk away from a job that I was secure in. But I decided it was time to turn a passion into a business. It wasn't easy at first. I've had every door in the industry slammed in my face twice. But the key is not to give up, not to take it personally, not to allow that disappointment to eat away at you. It just makes you more resolved. You roll your sleeves up and you work damn sight harder to get to where you want to go. So you actually gave up the job first and yep. then look for... Oh, okay. Yep. That's a brave thing. Yeah, I, I thought... I'd, I'd started doing little whiskey tastings in local bars and things like this, but you were never going to make a living off of that. And I thought, no, if I'm really going to be serious about this, I can't be doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I've got to throw myself into this 100% or not at all. Wow. Uh, and at the time... I met an old colleague a few weeks back there uh, and Tam had said to me, we all thought you were off your nut. We thought, he's got no chance. And yet, well, over ten years later, here I am. Yeah, so what happened? Who gave you the break? And can I just say, this music in the background very much sounds like a Regency music. So we are dressed up as dandies. Just, oh, yeah, yeah, Just yeah. for people to put that in their minds. Please, please remember, if my beauty spot slips, <laughs> let me know. Uh, yeah, the big break. Every what? now and again, I'll have to get powder. Um, <laughs> I, going back to Ian McLeod's, uh, and we were very, very fortunate. We had taken Victoria's brother and his now wife on a visit to Glengoyne. Uh, they were visiting from Lithuania and went around the distillery, they loved it, they were, they were fascinated with everything. And as you do, you end up in the shop on the way out the door. And Victoria happened to ask, can we buy this in Lithuania? To which the girl behind the counter had no idea. 
Now, Victoria doesn't take, I don't know, for an answer. Mm -hmm. So we had to end up getting a phone number to phone, and five phone numbers or phone calls later. I was sitting in Oranmore in the west end of Glasgow, and the phone goes, and it's a, a gentleman uh, who's become a, a, a lifelong friend of hope, uh, Stuart Thompson, uh, one of the sales directors, Ian McLeod. He said, look, I'm getting all these phone calls getting bandied about. What, what exactly are you looking for? He <laughs> said, well, I wanted to know, are you in Lithuania? If you're not in Lithuania, can we help you get into Lithuania? He said, well, how are you going to do that? And we had a wee chat about my ideas, and he said, well, it's not going to cost me anything. I went, not a penny. Come in and speak to me. That sounds like sure. That's exactly <laughs> like sure. Um, and we had a good natter, and he went, why the hell not, Kenny? It sounds good. Try it. And it went pretty well. Uh, from there on, you know, I, not only were you in my clouds, we were lucky enough to work as export agents for Spacic Distillers, for Aaron, uh, for Weems Malts, uh, Dunk, uh, Douglas Lang, numerous different companies, whether they be independent bottlers or independent Scotch whiskey distillers. And you would go to them and say, listen, we've got a, a route to market in well, Lithuania? originally it wasn't just Lithuania, it started there, but little by little we started to widen our horizons. And as we got a little bit of a reputation, we found people were actually coming to us rather than us going to them. And that means you're doing something that's right. Good. That's good. That's, so, all started from there. We plowed on through to 2019 where we've kind of established all our brands in the market so we can establish them in. This is going to be finite. So we've got to think of something else. What, what comes next? And the logical step was to move into bottling our own brand, our own label. And that way establishing ourselves, not just working for other people, but very much as ourselves. That's what was just said 10 minutes ago, with myself and Gordon having a chat there. Um, about how difficult it is to become an independent bottler. Oh. To be, and now there's less and less because most of the producers are, 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 are like Gordon McPhail, are not doing the independent bottling. They're just putting it out on their own label, yeah. their own whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's funny, I've been asked in a few interviews, you know, people saying, well, if I wanted to become an independent bottler, what advice would you give me? And my advice is, take a right good look in the mirror and talk yourself out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, don't get me wrong, I love what I do, and I'm delighted I've done it, but I did it just on the cusp. I, I, I just managed to catch it before the door started to close. I wish I'd done it 10 years ago, but for anybody coming into the game now, the biggest issue you're going to face is lack of stock. The big companies are not releasing their stock the way that they used to, and then we've also got this huge wave of charlatan cask investment companies out there who have completely destroyed the market as far as valuation goes because what used to be a sensibly priced cask of whiskey mm -hmm. is now fivefold what it cost three years ago because these idiots are driving the price up and up and up and up. With the social media advertisements telling people they can Oh, they can make 18% every year, blah, blah, blah. You can buy this for three grand and it's going to cost a million pound in 20 years. All this utter nonsense. Now, did one man buy a Macallan in 19-whatever and forget about it? Yes, that happened. Yeah. But somebody won the Euro Millions as well. It doesn't mean everybody going for a ticket is going to become a millionaire. That's where we are. You know, I 
don't get me wrong, I've, I've got cask clients, I've, I've done cask investment for people, quite a lot of people. But I'm very sensible about how I approach it and I'm very realistic about how I approach it. Correct. And when you say the door closing, how, what does that look like? It, it, it constrains who you can buy from, what they will sell to you. Um, even if you look at companies the size of Diageo, for example, I was very fortunate and, and you know privileged to be given a contract that I could buy directly from Diageo. And they closed off their contracts about, about 18 months ago now. And I was told at the time, it, it's just a pause, we're putting a pause on this. It's nothing personal, it's across the board. And I subsequently found out people like uh, William Grants and the like also had their Diageo contracts put on pause, so I knew it wasn't just me. But as whiskey gains in popularity, as the worldwide boom of whiskey grows and grows and grows, the stock constraints on every company are becoming tighter, so they don't have the excess stock to sell on to, to third parties. Mm -hmm. They need every drop of the liquid for themselves. And they may also be tied into certain contractual things where they have to horse trade with other people because it's a historical agreement that they've got. The ability to sell to small independent bottlers just isn't there anymore. And how can you operate then? Obviously you are doing it very successfully, but how can you We've been operate in that? If you've got a contract before the door's closed, is it still carrying on? No, well, at the moment, no. Um, but we've been quite fortunate where, over the last few years, we've seen this coming. You know, anybody who's in the industry could see the, the, the change in the way things were, were, were being put, well, put out. Uh, certainly the stock levels were nowhere where they used to be. And if you were smart enough and you could read the writing on the wall, you went out and bought a shed load of stock. Which is exactly what we did. Um, so we're comfortable bottling-wise, I would say, for the next three years anyway. Um, and what we're now doing every year is we are no longer buying single casks from here, there and everywhere. But we're buying tankers of New Mink Spirit and we're laying tankers of New Mink Spirit down. We're in this for the long game, not for a quick buck. Mm -hmm. So although it costs a lot, what we will do is sell a part of that tanker on to other parties who will, are clients who, you've got to, you've got to. Uh, but that in turn finances the part that you need. And that allows us to put new make spirit down, which obviously we can't use for a minimum of three years. Realistically, we're gonna keep it for longer than that. But it means that come the end of the three, four years stock, whatever we've got, We've got whiskies that are coming through, and by that time, I'm really hopeful that maybe the industry stranglehold on casks have started to put some of these Charlotte companies to the wall as well. That's very interesting, Kenny. So tell us, what is getting bottled? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a way What's it called? It's, oh well, so uh, at the moment, uh, Dramore, anything under the Dramore label is always going to be single cask, cask strength, natural colour, unchill filtered. It can vary. Um, we started off purely single malt whiskies. We now bottle rums, and we just last year bottled our first Armagnacs. Nice. Uh, which have gone down a treat on the continent. Very niche in the UK, uh, but it's gone down really well on the continent. Armagnac easier to get a hold of than... Armagnac's easier to get a hold of. Okay. Much easier to get a hold of. Armagnacs, Cognacs, Calvadoses, all the producers, particularly the wee family ones, are happy to talk to you. And it's a much better value than what you're buying for Casa Whiskey now as well. 
However, I'm a whiskey man and I can't get away from that. Um, we also have um, a blended malt, which is our first step into that side of things, which we released at New Year called Dumbarton Rock. Nice. Just on that, because I know Dumbarton Rock, um, who blended it? Uh, funnily enough, Ian McLeod's. <coughs> so we're back back to you guys. Yeah. Uh, really fortunate. Under your sort of yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, for a wee while we worked away, said, well, it's, uh, we'd get samples sent through and there'd be a wee tweak here and a wee tweak there that we needed. And eventually we got to what was absolutely perfect for us. Um, 46%, again, unchill filtered. We can't keep it quite the puritanical way that we have with the single casks, but we can keep it as as close to honest as we can possibly do. And blended malt, we've talked about it on this podcast before, I, I think it's a huge market there. It's a really Massive. growing market. I mean, single malt, single malt's great, fantastic, but beyond that... Huge. Blended malt's so and exciting. For us, it's very much an education thing that we then got to take on board because a huge amount of the whiskey drinking population, and I think as an industry, we've got to take the blame for this because for the last 30 years, we've told them drink single malt whiskey, that's the best, drink single malt whiskey. And that's all good and well, and it is wonderful stuff, but that's been to the detriment of the other categories of whiskey that we've got. I can put Dumbarton Rock into a blind tasting with five single malts, slide that blended malt in, no one is ever going to know that that wasn't a single malt whiskey. But the quality, it's so long as you've got quality, flavour, balance. If you've got all that in there, you're, you're laughing, you've got a great product. And providing it's a good product, it doesn't matter if it's a single malt, a blended malt, or even an incredibly good blended scotch. Yeah, That's yeah. all you need. Where are you taking, I mean, don't tell us your secrets, but different regions, or one region? Where as, as far as Drumore goes, or Dumbarton Rock? Dumbarton Rock, so just Dumbarton, the blended malt. Well, the, as far as the blended malt goes, it's composed of five single malt whiskies, one of which is heavily sherried, the rest are bourbons. So the idea of using four different bourbons allows you kind of to cancel out the main characteristics coming from each one. It gives you a really good solid foundation of good, sweet, rich vanilla, gentle white peppers, all these things coming through to play. And that marries so damn well if you've got a good sherry on top of it. And we've got our cracking sherry on top of it. Yeah, so it's so exciting. I think blended malt. So you've got the blended malt. It's called Dunbarn Rock. What do you do next? How do you get that? under the noses of the public? Well, we've done not too bad with it. Um, we sold in the first three months 200 cases of it, which, considering it's a completely unknown commodity, it's not too bad. Well, you are one of the best salesmen in the business. I've got a big mouth. Is it, is it shoe leather? Is it literally? It's shoe, it's shoe leather. How yeah. do you do it? It's shoe I'm leather. Just... It's banging doors. And it's getting on to taste things. It's getting the glass in hand, you know? Um, the very fact that it kind of retails at £30 on the shelf also helps mm -hmm. because it's a cracking price for what they're getting. Uh, and again, it's not allowing doors to be shut in your face. Um, a really good example, we're just about to be taken on by Morrison Supermarkets with Dumbarton Rock. It will be, it'll be just regionally. Uh, initially, we'll have a six-month trial on it. So I think it'll be Helensborough, Dumbarton, possibly Mungai and Greenock. I don't know yet. But if it goes all to plan and it sells well, then we are we will then continue um, with Morrison's. I'd always had I'd heard horror stories about working with supermarkets about how brutal they can be. Um, Morrison's have been fantastic with us. They've got a small producers program 
where they never quibble about your margins, they never quibble about your price, unless you're way out of the market. Uh, and they basically allow you to say how far you want to go so they don't put massive strains on your stock. So I'm really excited oh, to see that. And for those who don't live in the UK, that's a, a, re, it's a, a national, national supermarket. National supermarket chain, yeah. Probably I'd say about the third biggest in the country, right. behind Asda and Tesco's. So that's great. That's just getting getting the sales, getting yeah. the shoe leather. That's how you, how you do it. Yeah, it's, it's just being brazen, walking into a store with the bottle in your hand, going, can I speak to somebody? Brilliant, brilliant. And just, I never asked... Dumbarton Rock, again, for those people that maybe haven't been to this oh, part of the wood, you called it after a very yeah, famous landmark. Very famous landmark. So Dumbarton Rock is a fortified volcanic plug that sits right on the join of the, the River Leaven and the River Clyde. Um, it's been fortified since 840-something. I'd be lying if I gave you the exact date. It has housed famous names such as Mary Queen of Scots, William Wallace, Robert the Bruce, it's been sacked by the Vikings. If you've never seen it, folks, it looks like the backdrop of something from Game of Thrones. Yeah. And yet we walk past it every day and don't bat an eye. Um, and bizarrely, you know, the amount of people who travel along the, the road just outside this hotel, the 82, going from the Central Belt, whether they're going to down to Campbellton or Isla, or going up the west, the northwest. They will drive past Dumbarton and never enter the town. Five minutes, just jig down into the town and you'll see Dumbarton Castle. And when you see it, you'll spend more than five minutes. You'll want to go and have a wee nosey around. What a gift that must have been. Oh, no one has called a whiskey after that. Nobody. Nobody. Crazy. I don't understand <laughs> it's, it's it. It's always genius. Uh, I don't, I, genius. Well, you know, well, <laughs> genius on my part, not all for silly and everybody else's. Uh, <laughs> But I'll take it. I'll take it all day long. Yeah, so that's the Martin Rock, Lady Ball. Just about the drum more, the, the, the direction you're going into at the moment, the so overview of the... For us, we're now, we're now 14 countries established. We've just the first order in for Japan this week. We're just in the process of opening up both um, Italy and we've got a new distributor in Germany as well. So it's growing and growing and growing. Now, everything being single cask, it means that even with a sherry butt, you're only getting someone in the region of 700 bottles out of that sherry butt. So the more countries that come on board, the harder it is, because you're really having to, to spread yourself pretty thin over these countries. And the one thing you don't want to do is disappoint people and not give them what they're looking for. So the next step for us, as these markets grow, is instead of bringing out, we normally bring out seasonal releases, a spring, a summer, an autumn, and a Christmas, a winter one. Um, so four releases a year. What we're going to have to start doing is bespoke releases for certain markets. So the, the spring release, for example, maybe six single malts that are coming for Scotland, France, Germany. And yet there might be a different sing, single malt, six run for Japan, Canada, Israel, you know, whatever. And that's how we're going to have to diversify. Uh, we're in the process at the moment of getting our own bonded warehouse together. The minute we've got our own bond, we're then in charge of our own re-ranks, our own sampling, our own bottling. And that allows us to increase what we're doing. And at the moment, you're just hiring out? We're, we're very much working oh, third parties. Okay. So we're, we're, at, we're, we're fortunate. We're you know working between Whiskey Broker, Young Spirits in Edinburgh, who have been superb with us, and DM Winchester up by Elgin, who have been fantastic. Working with these guys, they are doing all their re-racks, our storage, our sampling, our bottling for us at the moment. 
And although they've been great, it would still be so much better if we were in full control of what we were doing. It's what what strikes me when you're talking there uh, is um, Kenny is 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 just a bit of contacts you, you you must have pulled on to make all this happen. This is not you're saying these words. No. This is not easy stuff to do. No, no, I know a few folk. <laughs> uh, it's it's one of the things, and you know, you and I have talked about this before. The most important thing for me, for for us in the in the industry in the whiskey industry, is we stand is the relationships that we garner with people along the way. It's really important for me to be at as many shows, as many whiskey clubs, as many everything I can be at. Because only by actually meeting people and building these relationships can you really start to move forward with any conviction, really. And providing that you carry yourself properly, you behave, you always, always, always respect what other people have made. I think when you do that, you tend to get smiled upon. So the very fact that the vast majority in the industry, I would certainly hope, that know me, um, they know that I'm going to be incredibly respectful with not only the product that I'm buying from them, but the services they're providing for me. And the more you do that, the more likely it is that people are going to want to work with you. Now that comes through massively. And just as a little detour to that conversation, you just mentioned about being out in markets. When you say that, what the kind of trips? Yeah. What the markets? Give us a couple of. This could be called tales from the road. Or tales from the road. <laughs> Should I really be telling these things? <laughs> what, gives you, what, what instantly comes to mind, Terry? Either one or it's a group of them. Oh. I, you know, what's? What Do you know that there are so many stories and there are so many people involved in them. I've got to be careful <laughs> what I say here. Um, I actually of late, I've been. I think I'm growing up. At the age of 54, I'm starting to grow up, which worries me. Uh, it's either that or I'm just burning out. Because nowadays, I am very prone to finishing a festival, going for something to eat and going to my bed. But certainly, I, I would say one of the, the scariest things would be my first time ever in Zurich. So I was sent out to Switzerland. I'd never been to Switzerland before. Um, the old whiskey chef Zurich, they'd just come off the boats and had moved to a great big hall up at the top of um, top of the hill and we would get the tram back down the, the show Swiss shows are notorious for being very long shows yeah, yeah. finish at 11 o'clock at night we'd be back in the town for about midnight the only place open would be pizzerias so we would have a different flavour of pizza every night mm -hmm. and then I got a phone call from a certain individual who, who <laughs> remained nameless to say where are you we're in the pub what pub are you in? oh we're in the piano bar I'm like, oh, I've heard about that. Is that not a bit notorious? Just round the corner for where you are. Fine. So four of us who were in the pizzeria wander round to the piano bar. And a young lady who was with us, who's in the industry, said, well, no, it's my round. I'll go up and get it. Who's drinking what? So the order was three gin and tonics and a beer for me. I'm a creature of simple means. And this poor girl came back and you could see by the look in her face, all was not well. I said, what's wrong with you? She went, 91 francs, that just cost me. I worked that out pretty quick. It was about 83 quid for three gin and tonics. <laughs> and what I may add was a particularly small beer. And I thought, I can't afford to be in Switzerland. This is terrifying. <laughs> we did find a pub called the Big Ben, which was about half the price, which is only double the price, which is here. Um, but that, 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 that became home. Yeah, that yeah. became home. Uh, yeah, it, it opens your eyes, but also it works on the flip side. You know, I've been very fortunate to work in 
a place I'll no see for a good while, I would imagine, is Ukraine. And you could go out for, you know, four or five of you in Ukraine and cave, go into a bar, order five beers, and you know, you'd be lucky if you'd spent two pounds. Uh, it was insanity. So, you know, what, what you get robbed off you one way, you get back the other. And you've been, you do a lot of stuff in Germany. You yeah, yeah, off huge the, amount. The, the, the Baltics, as you said. So, yeah, a, a sort of any, as, a, as Kenny's travel guide, if you had a travel company, who would you suggest people should check out? Or, or even festivals. Do you know, right, via, 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 right via a wonder, do you know, a wonderful festival, but I would say probably the, my favourite of the circuit is bizarrely in Poland. And it's at the end of August in Poland, right on the Baltic coast, and it's a wee seaside holiday resort called Yashebre Agora. Not easy to spell, not easy to pronounce, and I've probably still got it wrong after all these years. And this is an incredible festival. It's run by a company called Dom Whiskey, who are, you know, a big whiskey um, provider in Germany, eh, sorry, Poland. And it's a big open-air festival. It's slap bang in the middle of their summer. So there are big tents which will have whiskey stands in it, but there are plenty open-air ones as well. There is food, there is live music all day, there are cigar rooms, all of this is going on. It opens at 10 in the morning, it closes, I think, 10 at night. And there are guys queuing up at 10 in the morning to get in, and you think, you really need to look at yourself, you need a dram at 10 in the morning. But the beauty is, they take their whole families with them because it's a holiday resort. And if you cross the road from the festival, and walk down the stairs to the beach, you can go for a swim in the Baltic, and it's roasting hot at that time of year, that sobers them up. They come back up the stairs and they're <laughs> straight back in again. So one of the best, that sounds like a stunning, fantastic place to stunning. head for. And, and, very, and very affordable for people. Right. Very affordable. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, what I was saying about the um, circuit, is most people like yourself, Kenny, in, in our business are employed because they're conversationalists. Good people, good chat, and Aye. just a quick word about people like, like yourself. It's, it's a great. It's, it's one of these things where. Oh, it's great. It's, it's a whiskey family. You know, it's one of the things that I miss so much during lockdown. We, we were fortunate where we had the, the, the invention of Zoom that we could keep going. But missing that one to one conversation with somebody. You know, I look back and if I dig out my old school report cards, which are not glowing by anyway. But every single one says Kenny talks too much. Right. Every single one of them. How did you know there's a job for him? Well, they, 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 you know, if only when I went for careers advice, they said, get a job, you would talk a lot, son. You know, yeah, never yeah. did. Um, it was very much frowned upon. It was a negative. And you were told to keep your head down and shut your mouth. And I found that the only way to succeed in life is by doing exactly the opposite of that. Uh, yeah. It's funny because if I look back to a younger Kenny MacDonald, I was actually a painfully shy individual. Uh, you know, frightened of my own shadow sometimes. And to be able to stand up in front of people, and the biggest masterclass I've done is 250 folk. So when you stand up in front of 250 people on a stage, yeah, you, you can feel a wee twinge. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, that's a lot of folk. But what you've got to remember is you're just talking to people. They're, they're on your side. And the more you do it, to, to start off with, I think you've got to kind of wear a mask, you know, you, the, the kind of paint the clown mask on and, and go on with it and hide your own persona behind that. But the more you do it, the more confident you become and the more that becomes you. Nowadays, if someone says, oh, there's 300 folk in that room, can you stand up and talk to them? I don't bother. What do you want me to talk about? Kenny, you're a legend in this business. And we're just saying before we started recording, 
we really don't do PowerPoints, which I think is Aye. great as well. Which now, um, just to finish off, want to just finish off the dram more group, but also uh, whiskey in general. Mm. This is whiskey unscripted. Some drams that have come across your thrapple, well, which is your neck, your throat, in the I last ha- year or two. I have just secured the latest teapot dram from Glengoyne, which I am a massive fan of. You will see through this whole thing that me and Glengoyne have got a real <laughs> love relationship. You know, um, but certain others that have really ticked my box. I'm a massive fan of Victoriana coming out of Glen Scotia. Yes, I think it's a stunning drum. Um, it's been a wee bit difficult for me over the last few years because I'm now so used to working with single cast, cast strength whiskey that if someone gives me a dram at 40%, I, I feel it's a bit lacking, you know. And as a professional alcoholic, I'm really looking for something <laughs> that's going to give me a wee bit more. Um, I'd but would you always move away from the 40s? No, 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 not necessarily, no. Um, one of the things I'm very, very fortunate in is between myself, Victoria, and a big friend of ours, Andy Robertson, um, we've run over the last nine years a whiskey club out or more in the West End. So every month we get to try an array of six brand new whiskey stars, maybe not brand new, but new whiskey stars. We had a wonderful taste in last month, um, Emma from Loch Lee came up to show us what she had. And some of these young distilleries, some of the stuff they're making at really young ages, if you look at Loch Lee, you look at Rassi, you look at Kings Barnes, you look at Ardnamurrican, incredible good quality spirit at a very, very young age. So, you know, for those of you out there who haven't tried any of these, as, as young drams, they're a wee bit more affordable than some of the heavyweights down yeah. the line. And never, ever, ever shy away from them because they're young. Lose this idea that if it doesn't have 10 on the label, it's no use. I've had some stunning three, four-year-old drams and some utter rubbish at 40 years old. Yeah, yeah. So, honestly, grab these young whiskies, squeeze them for all they're worth, because you're going to find some absolute beauties in there. Well, we're heading towards one of the longer interviews in Whiskey Unscripted of all time, but I knew that was Sorry, the mate. case. Sorry, <laughs> mate. I love it. Uh, I love it. And I just wanted just to sort of round up, where do you, do you hope to be with uh, your company? I'm really... Fingers crossed for you in, say, the next couple of years. Well, first thing's the bond. We've got to get the bond sorted. Once we've got that up and running, that's going to see us grow. You know, we've got the ability then to grow. We, without our own bond, there is a glass ceiling as how far you can go when you're relying on third parties all the time. Once we've got that up and running, then the logical thing, the next step, which I think a lot of independent bottlers are looking at now, is to move into distilling themselves. It costs a lot of money, um, it needs investment, it needs the right place, the right time, the right story, the right everything. You can't just do it on a whim. And, you know, obviously you know there's been an explosion of new distilleries in the country over the last decade. Will they all succeed? Will they all go on to be, you know, 100 years old? I would very much doubt it, if I'm being honest with you. So what you've got to do is plan very carefully, make sure that you're sustainable first and foremost, make sure that the the provenance behind what you're doing is right, and if you've got that and you've got the right people, because at the end of the day, we're told whiskey is only three ingredients of water, barley and yeast, nonsense. It's time, it's oak, and most importantly it's people, and if you get the right people, then you've got the opportunity to move forward. So we've got to get all that together, but over the next couple of years, if we can get this bond up and running, then that will see Dramore secure for the, for the oh, future. Brilliant. And Kenny, one final question. Uh, anybody listening, where can we get the whiskies? If 
various parts of the world, we are, the UK? Uh, we are in 14 different, well, just Japan's just had the first order in, so that's 15, 16 now, because Italy's just put its first order in. But you will get us in Germany, you'll get us in Netherlands, biggest market by a mile is Belgium. Um, I, I can't thank the whiskey drinking public of Belgium enough. Um, the Baltic states, Poland, a um, little bit in Denmark, a little bit in Singapore, um, Hong Kong. Yeah, we're, we're, we're spreading nicely. But and anything online we can look at? Or read? Yeah, oh, oodles. Um, so if you go on online, um, we've got our own website. And on our website... And that's D-R-A-M? D-R-A-M-M-O-R. M-O-R. Dramor in the Gaelic just means a big dram. But you can spell big two ways. M-H-O-R means physically big. M-O-R means emotionally big. And I thought, what's better than a big dram? A big dram that means something to you. Brilliant. That's Dramor. That's a brilliant way to finish. Kenny McDonald. Thank you very much for appearing you as a guest more than Whiskey welcome. Unscripted. Thank you and good evening. Cheery bye. Well, let's just check this back. Yeah. Right, Gordon, that was fantastic. Well done, big Kenny. Well done, Kenny. Kenny, Kenny, Kenny. Did you drive to Cameron House to meet him? Sorry, Gordon, we, you couldn't be there, but we, we, we charged the, the bill to your card if that's okay. That was, that, that was, I'm sure you would find about it, so... Good stuff. Only stayed for five hours afterwards. So uh, a few pints <laughs> and some drams. And if you ever come to Scotland, if you're listening, Cavern House closed for a while. It's absolutely superb. Back yeah, up. lovely, lovely place to stay. Lovely, not lovely far place. from Glengoyne. Correct. Right, Gordon Dundas, you are a whiskey ambassador. Get yourself out of here, as you say, and you're off to China. Thank you. Good to speak to you. Have a great trip. Um, well, that's me. Um, and we'll uh, catch up and we'll have episode five when I get back. <laughs> okay, goodbye. Bye-bye. Well, thank you for reaching the end of the episode. Well done. Gordon made a great boo-boo there. And here's one of mine. And we'll throw some other random quotes in because I love it. And some music from Dave Arcari. Oh, Cheers, folks. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Goodbye. Paul Mather of the Artisan Restaurant and lovely food. And at the end of the night, I managed to grab Paul and in front of the assembled company had a quick interview. Is it, it not um is it not Derek? Uh, Derek, yes. We said Paul. <laughs> Let's start again. <laughs> Good to speak to you. Have a great trip. Um well that's me. Um and we'll uh catch up and we'll have episode five when I get back. <laughs> Tips for travellers if you're an ambassador out there on the road. Have you got a, a Stuart McCannon tip? Invest in good shoes. It's all about having a good time. It's about brotherhood, sisterhood, it's about community, it's about engagement. You know, the whiskeys are about sharing and having fun. And I don't know about you, but I'm willing to buy a thousand whiskeys and put them on the shelf and share them. And everybody comes in and just pays their share. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's not about money. It's about having a good time and sharing. And if it ever becomes about something else, then we've all missed the point. Posting ahead on the whiskey trail.